Welcome back to Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm Sarah. And I'm William. And this is another episode for February, which is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. And we thought it was important to have a conversation around something that is such a big part of adolescents' lives, which is gaming. So we have some very special guests, Mel and Peyton, who Mel is a healthcare worker and Peyton is a programmer and they are also my best friends since like forever. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. They have been playing video games forever, always trying to talk to me about it and I don't usually care. So now it's going to pay off and I love it. So I am very excited for this conversation. (laughs) We will, as usual, try to talk about what prevention looks like with gaming culture as well and talk about how it plays into domestic violence, sexual assault, and dating violence. So with that, some content warnings. We will talk about abuse, sexual abuse. So take care of yourself. Pause the episode if you need to and join us when you are ready. Mel and Peyton, thanks for coming. Hi, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Before we start, we're going to go do a throwback icebreaker. And I'm curious if you guys have any strong food opinions. I think I have probably a lot of strong food opinions. But my my main one is I, I take issue with anyone who would suggest to me, oh, this is a perfect burger place. You'll love this burger place. And there's a caveat to that that's like, Oh, but their fries are not good. Or, oh, you have to order off the secret menu. I'm looking at you, In-N-Out, or P. Terry's. Those are not good burger places. So, in your opinion, a perfect or a good burger place would be good in all the ways. Yes. Good, good. Onion rings. I don't don't have to have onion rings, but, you know, good fried food and good burgers. I hate that when I'm like, oh, you have to go to In-N-Out, but you got to get an animal style. What's the point? Why can't I order off their, or their menu? What is animal style? It's like sauteed onions and some sort of mustard sauce. And it's cooked longer. I don't, I don't know. Interesting. I tried In-N-Out one t- well, twice. One time I did not even finish the burger, threw it in the trash because it was garbage. Second time it was because people were trying to force us to like it. Still didn't love it. So I would, that's terrible. What is your favorite burger place? That's a hard question. There's a local place called Mooney's that I, I'm pretty happy with. Uh, same with Hop Dotty. Hop Dotty is a little overpriced, but I, I like their burgers a lot. They have also good good shakes, good boozy shakes. I didn't know um, they had boozy shakes. Good to know. Both of these places have really good fries and onion rings, and all of their sides are fantastic. Okay. I do love their truffle fries at Hop Dotty. Mel, what about you? Um, so my, I guess, unpopular, I don't know, weird food opinion. Um, I have kind of a soapbox about people who are not, like, willing to experiment with food and try new things. You know, not people that have dietary restrictions or allergies or whatever, like, yikes for you. But everyone else, like, Try new stuff. Like if you're going to a new city, a new country, a new whatever, like try something new, man. Why are you going to, why are you going to Italy and eating cheeseburgers? Why are you going to Japan and eating pizza? Like eat what the locals eat, man. Try something new. I would love to try pizza in Japan. What does Japanese pizza taste like? I want to (sighs) know. You know what I mean. It does bother me when like Mexican restaurants have like chicken nuggets or hamburgers on their menu. Like why? Like what is what is happening here? Like oh, I realize I it's probably for the for chil- it's for the children. I know, but then aren't we just feeding into the children's like 
I don't know. Hey, children need to branch out too. Do you want to hear my four-year-old scream in a restaurant? I mean, not right now, to be clear, because of COVID. No, but you should take your child home then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, in, in that same vein, I also feel like you should not eat chain restaurants when you go out of town. I was just more. about to talk about that. How when we yeah. travel together, we're never allowed to go somewhere we can go at home. Yeah, because I didn't go to Chicago to eat at Subway. Or I didn't go to New York City to eat at McDonald's. I agree. I think that unless it's like a local chain that's very specific to a place, I you try to avoid the chain restaurants. Unless it's like 2 a.m. and that's all that's open and like you need, I don't know, grease or something because, you know, you're drunk. But also, other than that. if you've ever had food poisoning in Thailand, like I have, sometimes you're grateful for McDonald's in Thailand. <laughs> That was like a humble brag. Like, it's <laughs> Thailand. Maybe it was. It's beautiful. I recommend going. It's great. I will say I did eat McDonald's when I was in Hawaii, but that's because there was nothing else open. And I, we were out after a show at like midnight and every place else was closed. Ooh, or like there, some of the international McDonald's have interesting menu items. If that's the case. Give See, I, I, I'm with that. I'd love to try a McDonald's in Thailand. What do they have on their menu? It's like yeah. pizza in Japan. It was the same. But don't but, get the generic Big Mac that you can get at home. That's boring. I did take a picture with Ronald McDonald, who was in a, like a, I don't know how to describe a praying McDonald. position. Is Isn't that, that what is the word? Scott? He was a statue. Oh. Um, for those listening, I do have a, oh, I've never shared this. This would be a good one to share. I do have a fear of mascots, like any mascots whatsoever. If the person's face is covered and I can't see their body, for example, we were at HEB and my lovely partner, Corey says, don't turn around. So obviously I turned around and there was the HE buddy right behind me. Like I could touch him. He was so close to me and I just started crying. <laughs> and this HEB lady was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. Please get him away from me. And she goes, this happens more than you think. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for not shaming my uh, fear. That story makes me laugh every time. I still don't even know what that is though. The, the HEB buddy? buddy. Yeah. He's H- like a grocery bag with vegetables sticking out of him. But it's an HE buddy, not an HEB buddy, just to be clear. HE buddy. That, I think that's his name. That's his H-E-B. name. Uh, yeah. mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to hear you get so close to a clown. I was like, isn't Ronald McDonald a clown? Like, why Again, would he was a statue. Oh, that's allowed. A clown mascot. Please never get in front of me. I will punch you in the face. Okay. Oh, but in the most nonviolent way. <laughs> right. This is an anti-violence podcast. You're right. Okay. Um, anyways, so <laughs> today we're going to talk about gaming. There's a lot that that entails. Again, I wanted to take this in like 50,000 different directions, but that's okay. Before we get started, I want to know a couple things. Because I do think it's important to talk about some definitions before we jump into this. So, like, could you tell the difference between, like, a couch co-op and a co-op game? Couch co-op would be um, generally two people on the same couch playing on the same console with different controllers, but still cooperatively playing, not split screen, probably same screen uh, shared amongst the two. Does that make sense? Yes, I just, is there a different term for split screen? Well, there's, if you have a couch co-op, it's generally thought of as like both players are on the same screen, same area at once. Gotcha. Okay. Just clarifying. And then just a regular co-op game. Co-op games are generally more 
over online, like a uh, Halo four and five, I think it was the rise of the big online co-op uh, where it's over the internet, over Xbox live, where you're still playing the same campaign, but you're usually having to mic up and talk to your friend over discord or something like that and play via the internet. Okay. So kind of similar as it like us being on zoom, having a conversation, but you're playing a game together. Yep. Okay. And there's so many different terms and I think like I've talked to a lot of different prevention educators who really want to start working with prevention and gaming culture. And so I think it's really important to just have a conversation of what these terms mean. And I know there's a difference between like a console game, so like a PlayStation game or like a computer game. Is that correct? Like a PC game. I don't want to say it's more accessible, but the, the due to the marketplaces like the Steam library or... Uh, the Epic Store, you get a lot more indie style games with the with the PC, whereas there's becoming more of a rise on that with the PSN, PlayStation Store, and the Xbox Live Store. Some of the more smaller developers can get in there, but it's more prevalent uh, in Steam or on the PC. There's also things like um, Kickstarter, where a developer can say, "Oh, I want to." I want to build a game, but I need to be funded so people can kind of kickstart those things via Steam with a green light program. Is this too specific for you? No, I think it's good. Um, and we won't have to get like super in specifics, but just that there are different platforms and there's different oh, ways yeah. to talk about. We're being super specific. I'm sorry. So, like in general, PC is generally just like, for one, it's kind of like the Wild West of gaming. <clears throat> there's a lot of different things you can do. Uh, there's a lot of different things people can put out there. A lot of things aren't approved by um, some sort of moderator before you can just go download it and play it. Hmm. Console gaming, it's a little more almost uh, restricted. Before something can be on the PlayStation Store or on the Xbox Live, it's got to go through a review process by Sony or Microsoft. Switch as well. I keep forgetting Switch. You know, you can make games, you can play games on there, but the games that are available on a console... I've generally been have some sort of review process. That doesn't mean they're all good games because someone reviewed them, but that does mean that they're someone looked at them. Well, I do think that's an important thing to note, especially as we get into some of the conversations today, that there are more reviewed games and some games that are just put up there for anyone to get at any point. One more like base knowledge question, because I think it's going to be important for our conversation later. You mentioned Discord. Could you talk about what Discord is? Discord is just kind of like a communication application, I would say. Um, it's a gathering point that allows you to text type with your friends in like a chat room, but also get into a do voice chat. You can break out different voice chat rooms that you can moderate or join and stuff like that and talk to your friends there. There's a number of them, but Discord right now is the most popular. I think it's important to point out that not everybody who's gaming is playing with people they know. Yeah, that's true. They're Plenty of times people, I would say the majority of the time people play online, they are playing with strangers, people they don't know. They've never met, they will never meet, but they are working together to solve whatever the task is at hand that requires more folks. Discord is usually only kind of, it's a a big factor when you talked about PC gaming because PlayStation Xbox, I don't think Nintendo has it, but the the Sony and Microsoft have their own built-in voice room chat where you can create like a party kind of situation with your friends 
and you can all talk in the same room that's created on the consoles themselves. Um, there's also some voice, you know, text-to-type kind of communication on the consoles. It's usually slower um, and not as popular, which is why sometimes Discord is becomes more and more prevalent. Thank you for all of that, like, baseline information, because I do, again, I know a lot of people that are wanting to start learning about this, but just don't necessarily have that background info. We will jump into the conversation of how gaming culture or what gaming culture looks like and how it plays into gender-based violence. But would you guys mind telling us why this conversation is important to you? Um, I think Peyton and I come as, as, as a male and a female, we have had different, I think we have different experiences um, experiencing gaming culture. Not that to say that we don't share the same concerns, but I have different concerns, I think, than he did when we first kind of talked about going on a podcast to talk about gaming. My kind of primary experiences and concerns um, are within design elements of games. So the way that women are portrayed in games, um, the experiences that they have, the opportunity that the player has to participate in the lives of, of women, whether that be they are portrayed poorly, they receive some kind of action from the player that I feel like reflects poorly on women, and, and, and my desire for there to be more representation in gaming versus I feel like Payton's experiences as a, as a male, maybe are, he, he plays more multiplayer games, more of these online games where he plays with other people than I do. And um, when we said, what, what are we, what kinds of things trouble us about gaming? He talked more about multiplayer environments. Is that, yeah. about, is that right? Yeah. G- gaming, gaming is big for, I mean, it's been part of my life for a long time um, and it's clearly not going away. At least not in my, my, my lifestyle. And so it, there are changes or things that I've been noticing over the years that are kind of alarming to me that are, I, I don't want, I, you know, I don't want to continue in the future. It's also kind of concerning to me as someone who might be a parent in the future, you know, how do I feel about my kids if they were to go online and play video games? Sarah, I'm sure that's something that you deal with, you know, Chloe with her going on, on things or with Tolkien. And that's, that's concerning to me. I mean, it's concerning now with, with Melanie sometimes. She's like, oh, I could play online. And I'm, I always kind of pause in my own head. I'm like, is that is that going to be okay? Should I warn her about something? Like, and these things are kind of, they're yikes. And I don't, I wish they would change. I still love gaming culture and I don't want it to go away. But there are things about it that I'm like, this is this has got to be addressed somehow. And one thing you said, I just want to be clear real quick. We didn't introduce you as like a married couple, but you are. <laughs> and just as in context with all of this stuff, because like Mel said, you have had very different experiences and you do worry about different things. But um, yeah, just I should have done that in the intro. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I am curious, like thinking about like gaming culture and all, everything that you can do online with people and in video games. What are some of the positives that you see in the gaming culture? Gaming culture, especially now as an adult, um, it really helps you continue to connect with your friends, especially now in this unprecedented time. I'm getting really sick of hearing that word, but like I'm able to keep up with my friends because you know we play video games and all that stuff. There's also kind of becoming a more sense of 
of community with the rise of uh, streaming services like Twitch, where people will play video games and people watch. Where, you know, I know a lot of people might find that strange, but for some, a lot of us, that's entertaining. And it becomes kind of a community thing. And a lot of times it's very helping for people to feel a part of a different community. So while Peyton and I don't have always the same experiences, we do attend a lot of things together. We've been to gaming conventions together. We both watch people game together. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's right about that. We have sat and, and watched other people play games, almost like the experience that people that, that like sports teams have, right? So, but instead of playing football or, baseball or boxing or whatever people like, I don't really like sports. So I'm just saying, uh, you know, you can watch people either play a game that you like that you've played in the past that you enjoy, or you can watch people that you like for whatever reason, play a game. And then, so you're getting enjoyment out of their personality. They have comedy. There's a competition. It's, it's whatever. Or you're like, yeah, my very favorite game that I ever played or play now you can watch someone else play it and feel like this kind of the same attachment that people have to their sports teams, right? I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm a Red Sox fan, like a community of we like the same thing. Well, I was going to touch on that community too, because working with young people, especially young people that have a hard time like fitting in at schools or like don't want to play sports and don't want all those things that are school system typically provides, they do find a community online. And there's been multiple people I've met that that, that's their whole world. And that's where they get their support. And that's where they flourish, really. Um, So it can be a really positive thing. I mean, another thing I think is positive about gaming is, is something that people say about, sometimes they say about reading, you can escape the life that you have, however much you don't like it, or you feel it's boring or mundane, and do something else. So you can go on an adventure to a new place. You can be someone else. You can take actions you feel you can't take in the real world because magic isn't real. You're not an actual ninja. You don't know how to scale tall buildings or whatever it is. You can do all of that in an, in a safe, closed environment where if you fall off the building, well, you can just get back up and try again. Or, or you lose the match well you can just try again that's true a lot of like a lot of non-multiplayer gaming is just a lot about the storytelling aspect so it is very kind of escapism getting into one of these you know more epic games that are very first person or single player driven but it's it's all about the storytelling aspect of it and a lot of people find that as a good escape from just their own life you you started to mention first player gaming. I think that that can certainly determine how much of an immersive experience it is, whether you're watching like Mario do his little thing or you like are Mario, right? Like they're, they're two different. Those are two, yeah. I would say those are two different experiences. Yeah. So, yeah, we've talked, I think, I think connection is obviously the most important in both. Like I am really happy that you mentioned um, Peyton as an adult because a, it's hard to make friends as an adult and it's hard to maintain your connections with your friends um, because adulting is hard. <laughs> um, and and Sarah, you mentioned the experience of young people and finding community. And earlier, Mel, you mentioned often 
the online gaming, like you're playing with strangers. And so all of that can come together where you you build new connections and like you're playing with the same username, the same person. You, you know, may not know their real name, but you know that you're playing with the same person um, or at least you think you're playing with the same person repeatedly. And so you do form these somewhat lasting connections in, in certain situations. And so it's it can definitely be a space where you feel supported. Um, I, I've heard stories from young people where their their gaming family, their gaming friends, um, are the people they tell their secrets to. The people that they are able to like live their true selves and um, really express the the things that they don't feel like they can to the people that are in person with them. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people get really involved in into these games. Maybe in some ways in, in some unhealthy amounts, but you know you hear stories about like in World of Warcraft, how people will will die in real life and they'll hold a funeral in-game for these people that they'd never met before, but, you know, they played with them for 300, 400, 1,000 hours or something in this guild that they created, and they created this bond, and they're grieving for this person that they never met but has passed. And I think it's important to, like, acknowledge that as, you know, as a mom, I can quickly jump to all the horrific things that can happen through games and on games and because of games but it is important to acknowledge that that is it is a safe place and it is a community for some and it is okay to acknowledge those positives of gaming culture too also it does wonders for toddler hand-eye coordination just saying (laughs) (laughs) are you really worried about that that hand-eye coordination with with Tolkien no not anymore because he loves games (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I would like to talk about some of the negatives. And for those of you who know me, I can be a negative person. So I can take this down lots of different rabbit holes. But specifically talking about like dating violence, sexual abuse, or domestic violence, how does that show up in gaming? Well, as far as how do we see it in, in my experience, and, you know, I am one person who has had some experience, you know, I've, I've played games for the most of my life. I've been to conventions. We watch people play. Like, I, I would say that that Payne and I are both uh, heavy consumers of gaming, of games and gaming culture. But gaming is not a monolith. We're not the only people that have thoughts on games and and, and our experience is not everyone's experience. But I, I do feel that... Many games, um, on the whole, are targeted and designed for adolescent cisgendered men. And that that lens can sometimes lend to negative outlooks on people that are not adolescent cisgendered men. So when I, I feel like sometimes developers may be looking for, what is it that we think that those that our consumer base is looking for or what are they interested in? And then they want to provide that experience to the consumer. And that can sometimes come at the expense of women or people of color or, uh, you know, non, not cisgendered people in these games. So you see um, objectifying behavior, the women relegated to the back, as it were, as a side character, not a not a main character, or some, a lot of sexist tropes, um, some racist tropes too. Um, limited 
interaction with people that that may be considered different or outside of the of the the male cisgender normative model as as like that's what they're looking for i guess and so you see that more commonly like we would see in a movie or any other kind of media where the way they identify the female character in the game is they give her a pink dress and put a bow on her head look it's a girl now even if it's a a, a dinosaur or a, a block or or some like not obviously gendered animal or object there they want you to know that it's a girl it's got a bow and it's pink but also i think that you don't you don't find nearly enough representation of other of women in gaming because i don't know if i'm not a developer i've never developed a game but i guess they just assume that that men don't want to play women as a main character so there's something like 5% of games that are developed have the female have a female star as the main character 5% so usually when you play a game, you play as one main character. Some games offer you the opportunity to switch out to other people, whether by force or by choice. But there's usually just one main person. They follow their story, whatever that looks like. But only 5% of them feature women as the main character. And in games, when you get to choose at the start, sometimes you can choose, I want to play the female version of the main character, or I want to play the male version the players on average only choose the female version between 18 and 20% of the time. And something else that you said about this stuck out to me because with the new Assassin's Creed game that came out, I don't know specifically if this they did this or not, but you said that when they have the option to choose between like the male or female character, even like the promos, like they're like, yeah, you can choose, but it's primarily the male character that they use in the promos. Yeah, so in, in two different games that I looked into one being Mass Effect and the other being Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where they, they give you, they give the, they give the player the option to play as essentially the same storyline, but in one version, the main character is a girl and the one, the other version, the main character is a man, but all the promotional material, all the trailers, all the marketing material, they don't feature the female character. The front of the box has the, the male on it. So if you flip the Assassin's Creed Valhalla one around, it's the female, but you got to flip it around to see that. Well, and in, and in that game, they, they give the, they give the main character kind of a, like a non-gendered name. So they're again, trying to promote the idea that, well, the male and the female have the same experience. They have almost in like our culture, they might say Sam or Taylor or, or Jordan, where these are thought to be less gendered names. They give her a not, they give they the non-gendered name. But if you go in and, uh, I think it came out just recently, if you go in and read kind of the fine print inside the game, the, the developers identified her as a female. But why is that a secret? If you wanted to make a, a game that start a female, then make one. Why do we have to be weird and secretive about it? Just make a game that stars all female. Like, why is that so hard? Yeah, and I think often when the female is a star of uh, or the character, even in, even in like a, a game like like Mortal Kombat or something, where you have multiple characters to choose from, the the women characters are you know they've got big boobs and they're like pretty and they've got like they're showing their midriff, like it's it's a very like sexualized outfit um, and body shape. Or alternatively, like in Mario, where you have you know Peach and. Daisy, that's the other one, I think, right? Who are just like 
damsels who need to be rescued. So it's it's the tropes all over the place with how women are characterized, um, both in the storyline as well as in your character choice. So it, the, the tropes is a, is a good way to kind of think about it. And it's something that's kind of been, I've more realized in recently is how, how relevant those tropes are and how they, how big they are in, in a lot of games is this kind of damsel and distress kind of thing. The motivation for the player to go and defeat the bad guy kind of thing. Oh, he, he stole my girlfriend. I have to go get her back. I think that's kind of, it all kind of ties into this, this domestic violence thing. Cause it's it, a lot of it is from the male perspective and it's a lot of trying to assess, associate these these roles with the male you are the male you are the protector you must go fight these people to go get your woman back kind of kind of mentality and it it puts a lot of a lot on people or you know it it assumes these roles and people just kind of go go with it and i I don't think there's a lot of a lot of gamers out there that kind of realize this or understand that this is prevalent kind of everywhere, but it's, it is one of those things where when you kind of sit down and look at it, you're like, Oh, wow, I'm, I'm just some dude and who's going, going to get my woman back. And that's my motivation for a lot of these things. And, you know, Mal, you sent us some resources before we did this, which we'll link in the episode description. If you want more information on how this shows up in games, cause it's fascinating. But one thing that stuck out in one of these videos was that I think she said along the lines of like, <laughs> We want to make it like real life and women are abused in real life at an alarming rate. And so we always have to put that in there to make it more realistic. And it's like, well, you can't like with for Grand Theft Auto, you can't just steal cars and get away with it and be fine. Right. So it's, it's kind of interesting how like they put all these tropes in there and normalize things in such a way that you don't even notice it. Kind of insidious to me. I mean, I don't I don't think that people that sit down and 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 play would necessarily say I played a Mario game. Men's whole job is to go defeat evil turtles to get your stolen woman back. But I do think that the idea would be, well, women wear pink dresses and are helpless and can't rescue themselves necessarily. They need assistance with that. And they they can't be the author of their own story necessarily. And, And that kind of is sort of normalizing for that thought process, which is, is, is where it kind of creeps into the real world. I think that's a good point because like we start off our games like with Mario, right? And when we're young and that's what we play, but it does increase as we get older. So if you start with Mario, you see this very normalized, it's fine, it's a cartoon. And then we get into like middle school or high school and start playing Grand Theft Auto. It's just... So many, so many issues. But like we just normalize it to your point. And so it is insidious because we do reiterate this rhetoric, whether it's in movies, games, music videos, whatever. It's there all the time. I am curious how, because we've talked a lot about sexism, ultimately is what we've talked about and how that shows up in games. But I'm curious how it shows up in these online games. Sexism in games is it's an interesting kind of thing about. Um, it, it's... How do I explain this? It's it's like you see if you're playing Modern Warfare or something like that, and everyone is talking on a mic or something like that, and you're you're talking to your buddies, and then suddenly a female voice ch- chimes in, and everyone just kind of stops what they're doing and goes, "A girl." There's a girl here. Why is girls aren't allowed on the internet? Why is there a girl here? 
And there's usually one of two different reactions from this. There's either kind of immediate hazing. Hey, baby, what's going on? You know, or there's like a, almost like a, I'm going to call it like a, a sip kind of thing where people are like, oh, you must not know what you're doing. How can I help you? This is, let me give you some tips. This is how you get better. This is kind of what you, you know. Are you lost? Yeah. And so it, it's, I don't know how to categorize that or like high level be like, this is what online gaming sexism is like, but that is the experience you will, you see anytime you're playing some sort of multiplayer game with a chat feature and someone suddenly identifies them as a female is that there's suddenly just this flock of the change of attitude between towards this person, either negative to, well, it's all negative, but from what I've seen in those two kind of categories, there's either just immediate kind of hazing or just this immediate, yeah, you must be lost. You must be new here. Let me help you. You're clearly helpless. Let me help you with this. I wish people could see your face, Mel, but William and I get to. And yes, and I think this can show up a lot of different ways too, but like even incorporating like gaming conventions, because that is gaming culture as well. How do you see it show up there too? It's a lot of the same kind of. So Peyton and I have attended gaming conventions together. And when we go to these conventions, he and I have kind of two different goals, which is just a kind of a personal preference of what do we like to do. Um, he likes to go and play with, like, he brings his own computer and goes to play with his friends many times. And I like to go watch other people play. They set up stages where you can watch, like, professional people play. You can shop. They have merch. You can go look at booths and different things. Um, and I, I often find um, that I am vastly outnumbered as a female present at a gaming convention. There are, it's 10 to one many times. And which in some ways is great because if you're a female and you've ever had to go to the bathroom at a theater and you have to stand in a 30 person line and the men walk right in, it's the opposite at a gaming convention. There are no women in line. You go to the bathroom by yourself and there's a million men going to the men's side. And in that way, it's great. But I have felt like People are looking at me when I sit by myself. They, I've had some people be like, oh, are you here with someone? And yes, I am here with someone, but I don't have to be here with someone. What if I just wanted to go alone? It seems shocking to people that a woman would want to attend, would attend a gaming convention by choice. So the, the women who do go, I think there's a cosplay element to it as well, that they, they like going, they like dressing up, they like pretending to be these characters that they watch and play in, in these video games. I mean, some people are very good at it. They spend a lot of time, they make costumes, they do their makeup. They're, they're really very talented. Um, but there, there's also a lot of trouble in, in, in cosplaying where they are women who do cosplay are harassed. Cause as we, as we talked about earlier, a lot of times the female characters in games wear revealing clothes that's part of, that's the character that they are in the game. So in order to copy that, the cosplayer may wear revealing clothes as well. And then they are many times subject to um, inappropriate touching or catcalling because they're wearing revealing clothes because the person in the game is wearing revealing clothes. So they're trying to, they're trying to copy that. So, I mean, personally, I feel like that's harmful for both men 
and women. Well, and I think that's kind of how we how we see some of these problematic things show up in real life, right? Like these, a lot of these people who play games see this sexual harassment online and then you go to a place like this and see those same characters and that, like, you just see it play out in real life ultimately and then you have sexual harassment in real life too. It, it looks like they, these, these men who have been going to these things are online, like they've never interacted with a woman before. They don't know how to like act. Like, oh, well, she's hot. She's pretty. I could touch that, right? That's fine. There's, there's or I'm permitted to act in any way I want in the game that I play. So how is that different from in real life? When I see the same character in the same outfit, doing the same modeling, the same behavior, well, then I also model the same behavior that is fine in a game in a closed environment where it's not real people hurting real people, but in the real world, it is real people hurting real people. Yeah. We've been talking about, conventions and being in person and we talked a little bit about some of the discourse that happens online when you're playing together and i wonder are there are there any enforcement like when you're playing like are there um user agreements that you technically agree to in order to enter those chat spaces discord things like that there are i think that's kind of one prong of the problem because a lot of these, a lot of these kind of punishments or whatever like that, or, or systems to alert developers about this are a lot of are very reactionary, not proactive. Um, for instance, one of the games I'm playing right now, there's, there's lots of ways to report someone for toxic behavior or, you know, racism or something like that, saying really, something really sexist or racist online. Um, there's lots of way to report that, but that was not like that at the very beginning of the game when I started it five years ago. And it was it was really difficult, and it still is kind of difficult to play the game when you're constantly harassed and you have to deal with things like that. And I'm happy, I'm very happy that it's it's gotten to the point where it is now where there's lots of ways to kind of prevent these things or report these things, but it's it's been a slog of five years of like, it's hard to play this game by myself. I need to play with some of my friends to kind of block out a lot of this offensive behavior and really enjoy the game. Um, you also see this, it's almost like it's something that developers don't ever really immediately think about. And then something happens, something big happens, and then they have to immediately address it. And they don't, they just do kind of like a bandaid uh, approach just to like make the problem go away at front. And then they don't think about it again until something else happens. And then it's, like I said, it's always reactionary. It's never really, oh, this is what we probably should do to prevent this in the future kind of thing. I think that is certainly an aspect of gaming culture, but it's also reflective and paralleled to how our like overall like culture is, yeah. polit- politically and otherwise, um, until something big happens and you know a police department is put um, in the media or legislature, you know, Sandy Hook, when, when all of the kids were, were killed, you know, then it's like, oh, we have to do this thing. Um, yeah. So I think it definitely mirrors that. Yeah. I was going to say, it is, and I find it kind of a frustrating part of, of our culture and, and gaming. And it's, you know, I play games to kind of escape this stuff. And it, when it mirrors that way, it's, it's more frustrating. Well, now, it, we're, now we're not having fun anymore. Yeah. Because I'll come in and see, hey, how's it going? And he's like, I had to quit because 
it's too toxic. I, I don't want to hear racist talk or sexist speech. Like I'm here to have fun. And all I do is if my team doesn't win or I don't get the best score, people scream obscenities at me. And I mean, that's not fun for anyone. I mean, yeah, there, there's a such thing as trash talk. It's friendly trash talk and it happens and it's fine, but there's a line that when it's crossed, you're like, Hey, this isn't fun anymore. This is, hurtful and damaging and I don't want to be a part about and I this is a thing I do to escape the real world and this pulls me right back out of it not like I actually have depression behind but you know you get into a mood where like this is just a downer yeah yeah I think uh, I think the, the distinction between there's there's a healthy level of trash talk and competition but at some point it crosses a line and it's inappropriate is important um one of the things Sarah mentioned when we were kind of prepping for this episode was a comment that you made, Mel, about how you play girl games. And I was so confused. And I was like, Sarah, you need to explain. And she's like, I can't explain. And so I'm asking you to explain um, what that means. Like, what what is a, is a girl game and, and what, like, what leads to that distinction? Well, if you Google games for girls, first of all, you will get things like Cooking Mama or Barbie's dress-up party or kind of very typically female-oriented games that are, I don't want to say obviously for women, like men don't play them because they do, but maybe more obviously geared towards women. In that same vein, I tend to play single player games that are more story based because that appeals to me for many reasons. But also I tend to stay away from multiplayer games like the ones that he plays online because I don't, I'm a female. I'm one of those people that would be spoken to in that manner. That would be attacked for either being a female or why are you here? You're lost. Don't you need help? And I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I also tend to stay away from more violent games. Um, I think on the whole, the violent, excessively violent games don't appeal to me as a female as much, maybe. Because these are, these are war games, which who participates in war in, in, in typical history? Men. Okay. But there are no female characters. They're not... They don't participate at all. That you can't play as a female, and if there are females in games about war, they are girlfriends or nurses or some kind of side character that pops up on occasion. But really, their whole reason to be there is to be supportive of men. And I, that I mean, I don't want to have. That's not fun for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and and I think that. The game choice is like a safety decision, right? I mean, it may not be physical safety, but emotional safety, psychological safety. And I think that's definitely part of the choices that people make. And um, part of the challenge of shifting the, the gaming culture is that like, if it doesn't feel like a safe space for people who are different, whether that is because they're trans or because they're they're female or because they're gay or whatever, then... You, you don't get that introduction of new ideas than like the shifting in the norms. There's so often few 
female characters that are uh, that take the starring role or, or play very active roles, it's even more rare in my experience to find people of color, people of different like ethnicities, as in like not American or European folks. Like, good luck finding any, you know, transgender, non-binary, homosexual of any kind that they don't exist. I mean, they, they do in, I mean, tiny percentages of games. Or they're, again, relegated to the back side characters. You run into them one time. Never the star, never up front, never prominently displayed in, in the game itself or in the media surrounding it. Yeah, you have to seek it out specifically if you're looking for it. Like, I'm looking for this this type of game or like a queer friendly, like whatever. You have to seek it out specifically. This might be a stretch, maybe not. But it, it, it to me, like even just listening to you guys talk, it's, you know, we see a lot of white males do as they please, maybe with less severe sentencing on some situations. Looking at you, Brock Turner. But, you know, like there's all these things where like white men are taught in a lot of ways that they can do what they want. They can have what they want a little to no cost or like, well, at the cost of everyone else is what I'm trying to say, I guess. And it feels like this is just like bleeds into that and really supports that. And is really part of that toxic white supremacy, misogynistic culture that we see in our everyday life. I think what makes gaming different about than other kinds of media is how participatory it is. Right. So we watch a movie, we watch the good guy do whatever, the bad guy do whatever, and then you leave and go home. When you play a game, that's you. You do the action, however good or bad it is, you're the one that shoots people. You're the one that that hires prostitutes to help you achieve a goal you're the one that has to pick up the photo or do the whatever it is action it it's it's participating so if the game requires you to do something that is is harmful to a person of color or a woman or you know someone who's non-binary or whatever you have to physically do that and make a choice to to do that and and you know as all research shows us the first time you do anything the second time it's easier and and I don't I don't mean to like, like fully equate doing things in the real world and doing things in gaming, but if the game requires you to shoot your girlfriend to move along and you play the game multiple times, I mean, that I was think it's, that. yeah. And I think it's easier for some people to have that mental separation. Right. And some people are like, it's just a game, right? Like I'm playing it, I'm doing it, but it's just a game. Um, and other people, um, for whatever reason, whether it is due to their life circumstances or their mental health or whatever, have more of an attachment to that character and those actions. Um, so I think that certainly everyone is different and everyone and some people might listen to this and be like, nah, like I, it's just a video game. Like I don't have any emotional investment in that in the character's actions at all. And that may be true for that person, but it's not true for everyone. Yeah. Well, and then the last, like, I don't know when the diagnostic and statistical manual that we use in mental health came out, the last one, but the most recent DSM is what we call it. There was the introduction of internet gaming disorder, and they've like done a lot of research in that gaming can become as addictive and like change your brain as drugs. And again, like, like you were saying, William, that's not for everybody. Everybody's different. 
but it's there and they have a whole thing for it. So like it does or can rewire the way we think, the way we see things and become more problematic for some people than others. I would also say there's a prevalence of it too. Like there's a lot of single player, like story driven games where the male character has to harm the female character to move on with their story. If it's some sort of damsel in distress thing or something has happened like this, something I've, I've been realizing is like, Oh, that trope that like I need to shoot my girlfriend or something to move along happens a lot more often than you think. And it, it's kind of alarming when you start to kind of realize like how often that's used as a, as a story driven trigger kind of thing. So it, a lot of people say, yeah, there's a separation. I'm like, yeah, but it's, you have the people who can't separate that. Then you have the prevalence of it all. Well, and my question is, why do why do people who write stories feel the need to use abuse of women as a as a story driver? There are plenty of other nonviolent or non domestic violent even story drivers that we can use that don't always come at the expense of of women every time, and not one hundred percent of the time. But very often you find that it's it's women who are kidnapped, it's women who are murdered, it's it's women who are abused or or you know, mocked or shamed or we don't have to use that every time. It's not required. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good transition to um, incorporating this conversation into prevention messaging. One of one of the big goals of prevention is just to engage in conversation. And so I think that one, that's one of the important reasons that we're having this conversation today. And and two, often prevention efforts are focused on young people. And I'm sure we'll get to that in just a second. But a lot of people in the prevention world think that prevention is only for young people. And I enjoy pushing back on that and saying prevention is for everyone. And so even if you are playing with your adult group of friends, having this conversation to say, hey, like, have you noticed these aspects of gaming, right? Or even between the two of you um, who are married and live in the same home, like being like, hey, these are the aspects of this that we find to be harmful or problematic. And, and what, how do we have this conversation? I have my view of gaming and I have my experiences being playing multiplayer and online but there's going to be a lot of things that I've, I've never thought about that she's experienced. And that I'm like, Oh yeah, that seems very problematic. I don't think I would have thought about that. Like, I, like with the, the, the single player with the storyline, like I didn't really think about it. It was just one of those things that, Oh, this is enjoyable. Oh, I understand my motivation to kind of think, but I never really sat down and been like, wow, this is, yeah, no, I, I that's kind of problematic. Well, and, and I do want to say, that two things can be possible at the same time, right? So we are heavy consumers of game culture. We like it. Like we keep coming back for more different ways to participate. But at the same time, we can also think critically about what's happening here. How can we improve and how can we be better? We play games. We don't just throw them away because they're problematic. So here in comes how can we make this a more positive experience for people going forward? What kinds of changes do we need to see in, in games themselves, the creation and marketing, and then in the, the culture among people who consume, people who play online, where are there places that we can work on 
making those spaces better for everyone. All the snaps for that. I think two things happening at once um, is is something that people really struggle to understand. One of the questions that I have related to having this conversation is when you're, um, and this is maybe more for Peyton if it's a multiplayer situation, but in those situations, how do you set set boundaries with the people that you're playing with? How do you call people out or call them in? Like, what is that experience like? Um, I mean, it's, it's usually like you, you hear something like, I mean, you just kind of have to have like a Frank just be like, man, that's, that's not cool. Kind of, kind of thing. Like that's a messed up comment. I'm just here to have fun kind of thing. And usually people are pretty respect, respect, you know, respectful of that. They're like, all right, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe. And then the other side of that, you just kind of have to mute people if you can, or just, I'm not talking to this person anymore just mute them you know turn off the text or whatever like that and just kind of move on and go with that it's it's really hard to kind of get out of that funk once you're in it but so there's it's it's got to be kind of one of those prevent not react kind of thing there are some functions where you can you can ban people you know say they, some games have like a ban button that you can click and highlight, ban this person, take them out. The trouble with that is, is that you, people abuse that for different reasons, can sometimes abuse that for toxic reasons, right? So sometimes they, they ban somebody they just don't like because they're not on their team. Sometimes they ban a person that's different for whatever reason. Um, it's a little harder than Stuff like when you when people are banned online, like in in text form, social media or whatever, there's what they said in in text. Like you can read it. That's a little tougher when it's an audio clip or they they say to you something toxic, and you ban them. Oh, there's not always as, as easy proof to to say that's what happened or that's why. I was working or I met this young person and he was telling me, you know, talking to about this like. These people are saying horribly racist things. They're being so mean, like all this stuff. And like, it was really problematic. And we talked about like those options of banning, that kind of thing. And he was so like, this is my world. And like, I'm being banned because I tried to ban this guy. Like, there's just so many, so many complicated things. And, you know, it's not always so, there's the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. Like there's, there's a lot of complications to it. And then there's like, you know, Chloe, who's getting more involved with games and doesn't understand fully why I can't, like, she can't just talk to whoever she wants or do whatever she wants. I mean, she does, but like, she still wants to do it. Sorry, Chloe, I love you. Um, and, but it's complicated. Navigating those boundaries are so complicated. And, you know, all the things that we've talked about of how these messages are insidious and they do or they can show up in the way we date or how we date or even just how we communicate with people. Like, what do you think having these conversations with young people and navigating the problematic things, what does that look like? It's a lot about having just kind of frank conversations and just being like, look, your, your attitude and how you approach this is going to be a, a lot of how a lot of things go. I've seen a lot of successful streamers and kind of get a hold of their community and com- combat a lot of this stuff just kind of with positive vibes like hey man we don't really talk like that here or we don't deal with that here um you know we try to be a better than that in this community kind of thing and if i had kids who were wanting to play video games i i would have to be 
fairly frank with them and just be like, look, I want you to enjoy this, but there's going to be a lot of things here that I don't want you to hear at this age. You know, I really hope that online gaming becomes better in the future and stuff. But right, right now, it's so hard for parents, I feel like, just to be like, even for myself, just to be frank and say, yeah, this is a very yikes place. There's no rules here. So you're going to see and hear a lot of things that I don't want you to hear, which is why I will caution you for these things. Almost like you have to have trigger warnings for environments that are socially out of control. Yeah. So yeah, we don't, there's not someone here and maybe that there should be um, on, on, on Twitch and on some streaming services when people have these chat communities, many times the the person in charge of the community, however that looks like, whether it's a a single person or a, a group, they designate people and it's their whole job to make sure that people are behaving, to delete comments that are racist, to say, to ban people that say things that are bad for whatever reason that are cool, just in general, whatever rules that many times these communities are learning that they have to set boundaries with the participants. You know what, if you want to come and watch me play and you want to talk about it with other people, you have to be nice. Like we don't tolerate that behavior here. And, and so that onus is on the, the influencer of the time to say, we, we don't allow that. We're not going to have that here. Another lesson our entire country could learn is that we don't accept intolerance in this space. Different story for a different time. Uh, Sarah, as the parent in the room, do you have any suggestions for parents who are whose, whose children are into or getting into gaming um, as far as how to have that conversation or like some other non-game related strategies like being a safe person for your kid to talk to? Find yourself a best friend that will listen to all your ranting. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. I, because it is, it's so hard. Um, I, you know, like to think that we are a safe home that has lots of conversations about lots of different things. And, you know, we'll bring things up. And even my mom is like, um, Chloe knows too much about this thing. And I'm like, nope, nope. She probably actually should know more. Because we just want you her to be prepared. We want to provide those trigger warnings, those content warnings. Um, and, you know, so I say all of that. And as we were talking to some prevention educators about this episode, and they were excited that we were doing it and started talking about what they started talking about, what grooming looks like on a game that Chloe plays. And to be clear, I know most of you listening probably know what that means, but like people who are awful are creating these relationships with these kids and making them feel like they're safe and all this stuff. Anyways, look it up. It's scary. Um, but they were talking about how, what grooming looks like on games that Chloe specifically plays. And I like almost had a panic moment because I was like, I try to be educated. I try to have conversations. I try to like look things up. And I'm my own person. Like I have my own life. I have my own things going on. I can't be around and know things 100% of the time. So yes, it's important. Do your research. Know what games they're playing. Know what platforms they're on. But those conversations are so crucial for that reason. I can't always watch over her shoulder and know who she's talking to. I can't always read the text that's going on or know who gave what to her on this game. And so just trying to keep those conversations open learning about the game, having 
talks around what is okay in that game and what's not okay in it. And just really reiterating that you are a person they can talk to. And then I guess just hope for the best. Like that's what I'm over here doing (laughs) because it's, you never know. So I was, I was asking Peyton if I thought on his experience that he's found that chat based where you type is, is less toxic than like headset speaking kind of environments. If you're looking for maybe a place that maybe is less toxic, a chat. Actually, I would find it the the reverse. Now that I think about it. You would. I think people speaking, there's, there's more of a hesitance when it's your own voice talking to other people, strangers that you, you're less hesitant to say things that you're more easily would just type out. I think, I think there's kind of a, a, an anonymous factor to that where, well, when I'm typing, no one knows what I sound like or anything like that. So I can type and say these horrible things and no one knows who I am. When I speak it, it's possible someone could recognize it or could pick up on things that suddenly I'm I'm less anonymous now. I had a real old school thought, (laughs) like throwback to AOL instant messenger when that was a thing. But I'm like, I was severely bullied on there. But like those people went to class with me, we would talk on the phone, like we would do things and they would never say awful things there. To your point, like it is easier to be anonymous and to just put something out there and go with it when you're chatting. It's kind of like a, so in my work, sometimes I have to talk to clients and through email or some sort of phone call or even um, like a video call or something like that. And you'll always find that in my experience, people are going to be a lot nicer the more closer to you are, you are to in-person than anything. I've gotten some nasty emails from people that have just put me in a funk and I don't want to work the rest of the day. I've had a lot of very, I don't think I've ever had that kind of reaction to a phone call. I've had a lot of pleasant phone calls or, you know, video conferencing or in-person meetings. But, you know, when I think when it's just text, there's a lot that doesn't get conveyed and that can be taken out of context. And there's a lot of people just don't care. Like, oh, it's just an email. Who cares? Kind of thing. And I think a lot of that goes with online gaming as well. Like when people can just type something out, at least when NPC gaming, it's, it's generally the text is more toxic. I feel like we were about to jump down five more rabbit holes with that. I really appreciate you guys coming on and having this conversation. I know this is, like I said earlier, an area where a lot of prevention educators are wanting to get more involved. So I will post some of those resources that you provided us in the episode description so they can learn more about that. And if you have more questions after listening to this episode or want to brainstorm on ideas on how to really get started with prevention and gaming culture, feel free to reach out to us on our prevention email, which also is in the episode description. But thank you all so much. It was fun having you and I appreciate it. It was fun being here. It's been a blast. And we'll be back next week with some more information about Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, some other conversation that will hopefully further your awareness and prevention efforts. Bye. Bye. Bye.